stand-up comic joke it up one time. Funny. We don't need to play this on here. I know. <laughs> Skip it now. Come on. Let's talk about sex, baby. <laughs> Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things yes. that yes. make me. Let's like, talk yes. about sex. Again. Thank you. Let's yeah. talk about sex. <laughs> Let's talk about sets. Let's talk about sets. All right. Well, hello. This is Let's Talk About Sets. It is a podcast that's all about the science and craft of stand-up comedy, the dark art. And I am your host, (laughs) Jeff McBride. Off here to my left is my co-host and long cancer hopeful, Harrison. (laughs) Harrison, let him hear those uh, tracheotomy pipes. (laughs) Hey, guys. How are you doing? (laughs) And uh, the theme today is tragedy. And our guest today is Doug Smith. Hello, boys. (laughs) Honored to be here with Master P. (laughs) (laughs) Who's Master P? He is an old rapper. He's also Lil Romeo's father. I yeah. don't know things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's okay. He, he, I make it my business not to know he's things. He's not part of those. It's like actually refreshing here. that you don't know who he is. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, a lot of people say that to me. They're like, your ignorance is refreshing. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. You have room in there for other shit. Let's get started with a bit by Patton Oswalt. It is from his 2000... 17 special <laughs> annihilation the uh just over a year ago um i became a widower and uh i have i'm moving along as best i can it is not, you know i'm i can get up and i can do my job i can be a dad but uh it's not you know it, it's, it's still the wound is there it is healing. It's not shut yet. And, uh, oh, by the way, if one more person wishes me strength on my <laughs> healing journey, I'm going to throw a balloon full of piss into every candle store on the planet because it, it is not a healing journey. Uh, and calling it a healing journey makes it harder, by the way. When, I'm, when it's 4 a.m. and I'm in the backyard crying and looking at the sky in my underwear, uh, you know, it doesn't feel like I think I'm fucking up my healing journey right now. I don't, <laughs> if they would call it a numb slog, then I could at least go, hey, I'm nailing it. All right. I'm <laughs> right where I need to be on my numb slog. And it also, it, it, it just, there's no sense to it. It doesn't have, and that was my, you know, my, my wife was a, a true crime writer and researcher, and her, the phrase she hated the most was, you know, everything happens for a reason. <laughs> she, and she's like, no, it fucking doesn't. It's chaos. It's all random, and it's horrifying. And if you want to try to reduce the horror and reduce the chaos, be kind. That's all you can do. It's chaos. Be kind. She would just say that. Oh, it's chaos. Be kind. Now... 
I would always, we'd have these huge philosophical arguments where I was like, I don't believe in a, in a intelligent uh, creator per se, but I think that there might be a, a lattice work of logic and meaning to the universe that maybe we're too small to see. And she was like, sweetie, it's all random. It's all chaos. It's chaos. Be kind. It's chaos. Be kind. And then we would go back and forth. And then she won the argument in the shittiest way possible. <laughs> And if there, if there is some intelligence up there with a plan, then his or her or its plan sucks. If part of the plan was looking at me and Michelle as a couple and going, well, I gotta take one of them, now let me see. She investigates cold cases and tries to bring a sense of relief and, and uh, sense to bereaved families, and uh, he talks about his dick in front of drunks. Now, ooh, <laughs> should I take off the planet right now? <laughs> That's like looking down and seeing like Louis Pasteur and the guy who fluffs the donkey at the Tijuana Fuck Show, and you're like, well, Those donkey dicks aren't going to get hard on their own. I gotta, uh, <laughs> someone's going to invent pasteurization eventually. Uh, and then everything failed me. Everything. Pop culture. All this shit. All my little escape routes that I used to go to for comfort. Comic books. Science fiction. Film. Literature. All that stuff immediately failed me. Especially superheroes and comic books. Out the window. Every superhero, all these action heroes I worship, it's always, it's always a widower, someone who has lost a wife or a child or their whole family. And they do the thing that everyone does the minute you lose a loved one. You know what I'm talking about. Crossfit and martial arts. That's the first thing you do. You get really cut. I mean, look, that's what I did, guys. I got right super into Taekwondo. Look, the... <laughs> The, and by the way, all these guys, uh, you know, the Batman and the John Wicks of the world, uh, they're always shown like standing over their wife's grave at night in the rain in a trench coat looking grim and focused. And that's, cemeteries close at 6 o'clock. I know this. That's bullshit. <laughs> if they're doing that, that means they climbed over the fence like an asshole. <laughs> There was some guy in the security hut looking at the monitor. There's that douchebag climbing over the gate again. We're open nine hours a day. I don't know why he's got to come here at night. Stand there with that Offspring song playing. <laughs> Batman is back. Batman can go fuck himself. That guy, his, he's nine years old. His parents are gunned down in front of him, and he travels the world becoming this super-powered ninja fighting what the at best at best bruce wayne would have grown up to be gotham city's most annoying slam poet that is the best <laughs> he would have become that's the best he would have been one of, and he would have been like one of those trust fund he would have been like he would have been a fat vegan i know that he would have been a fat <laughs> vegan you ever see a fat vegan you're like hey i thought you said you were a vegan you know oreos don't have any animals all right fuck you <laughs> <laughs> He'd be on stage with his poems, bang, bang, in the alley. Everyone, boo! (laughs) 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 
beanbag in the head. Second worst day of my life was the day that my wife passed away. That is the second worst day of my life. The worst day of my life was the day after when I had to tell our daughter. Uh, it, my, my wife passed away while she was at school. So in between screaming and vomiting and, and freaking out, you know, I talked to the school and I told them what happened and what do I do and, and the principal talked to me and she was amazing and said, you can't, she can't come home from school and then you tell her and then she has to go to bed. You can't like, oh, you're, you know, you can't send her off into sleep and that trauma's just hit her. Take tomorrow's Friday, keep her out of school, have a fun daddy-daughter morning, and then at noon, tell her, and then be there with her while she works through it. It's gonna be horrible, but just be there, give her the day, do it in the, she said, tell her in the sunshine. That's how she put it. So we, we did it, we, in the morning, we, we went and had fun, and then uh, I sat, I sat down with my daughter, and I looked, I looked at my daughter and destroyed her world. I had to look at this little girl that was everything to me and take everything from her. And I've, I'm, that, that I've, that's going to be longer for me to recover from than my wife passing away. It was horrifying and it and and hours and hours later after crying and holding her you know and i said whatever you need to do i i will do it if you don't want to go to school for a month you don't have to go if you want to i will travel anywhere i'll stay here with you you know i canceled everything i'm just going to be and then after she calmed down she said i want to go to school on monday i want to go to school on monday and what i realized what she was saying is i want some normalcy if my mom were here I'd be going to school on Monday, so I'm going to go to school on Monday. Even if it's an illusion, I'm going to try to grab a little bit of that. And I go, I will take you to school on Monday. We're going. We're going to go, okay? And Monday morning rolls around, and I'm bringing her to school. And now, I haven't slept in four days, and I'm bringing my daughter to school. So as we're walking up, it looked like a junkie had found a kid. <laughs> and was just what she said to grown-ups get free apple slices. Is that true? <laughs> so, he, um, and I'm on the edge of hallucination at this point from grief and sleeplessness and all of her little friends who had been told over the weekend what happened and the parents sat down with them. Now these little adorable six and seven-year-olds are coming up to me and firing questions at me. Not meaning to be mean, they just, they have no filter, they're little kids. So I'm surrounded by these adorable faces saying, when Alice's mom died, were you sad? Like, <laughs> just kind of melting. <laughs> yes, I was sad. <laughs> it's great to talk to children. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of her friends without meaning to let slip uh, a little bit too much about their home lives though in their questions which was <laughs> kind of interesting <laughs> is Alice going to have a stepmom I, I'm not really thinking about that right now I don't know because when my mom and dad stopped living together I had a stepmom right away oh <laughs> 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 bet you did. <laughs> Is she teaching you Russian right now? Because 
I bet she's not teaching your mom Pilates anymore. (sighs) So we got through the summer, which was its own nightmare. And then first day of first grade, which I had to do alone. Normally my wife would go online and fill out the forms and I, and I was like, I can't, how am I gonna, and I somehow did it and I'm walking her up to first grade and as I'm like, I can't believe I actually, there's lunch in her lunchbox. Her, she has a backpack, I got her new clothes. Okay, maybe I can do this. Um, but it also hit me as I'm walking her up, like I had not visited my wife's grave since the funeral, I couldn't. I just couldn't bear to go there. And I'm like, you know what? God damn it. I'm going to go visit Michelle's grave, and I'm going to sit and talk with her, and I'm going to say, this world need not concern you anymore. I've got it. You go do whatever you have to do. You're not gone because I see so much of you in Alice, and I will keep that healthy and happy and growing. That's my job now. And I was going to tell her all of that, so I go to the cemetery, 10 in the morning, clear blister, beautiful out. There's a little bench near the headstone, and I'm sitting there, and I'm about to start talking, telling her this, this world may not concern you. 30 feet this way, there's an Armenian family having a screaming argument with each other. <laughs> and their daughter is like this teen goth girl who is walk. I don't know what this meant, by the way. She kept pointing to random parts of the ground, and the father would just go, No! (laughs) (laughs) Then, (laughs) 70 feet straight in front of me, there's an adorable Chinese family, all sitting in beach chairs, eating pizza at a headstone, and they have a boombox, and they are blaring... Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On. (laughs) Blaring. Except there's no real bass. It's all treble. So it sounds like it's being performed on a dentist drill. Like it's so... Uh. And I'm sitting there trying to go like... Uh, this world... No! No! You go, I see so much of you and I, no! (laughs) (laughs) Finally, I was like, you're a ghost. Just fly behind me in the fucking car and I'll talk to you there. I can't. (laughs) This is insane. Now I know why superheroes come here at night. I get it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Batman. You're right. You're right. (laughs) That's really funny. (laughs) Oh, God. What a powerful, beautiful, incredible piece of stand-up. So I always think, like, if that were to happen to me, would I even be able to come back to stand-up? Like, how do you even... approach going back to that you know I and see. the fact that he yeah. was able to do even come back to it and do a whole special not a whole special because he does you know the first half of the special doesn't even address that and have such a long stretch of just tension and just basically just delivering this news to the audience yeah and just really letting it fall on them but he's such a pro he can always bring it back with just rapid fire laughs whenever he wants to yeah. you know he can just let the gravity of that just weigh on the audience to the point where, you know, they have crowd shots and people are just 
like they don't know what to do with themselves. It's just this it's kind of a wonderful moment of tension where it's like, am I even watching a fucking stand up special right now? What is this? I thought when I was listening to that and when I watched it the first time, I was struck with the exquisite beauty of the silence of the audience while he was in between laughs. Right. I sat there and I was just like, every single person in this place has this bizarre mixture of, please tell me about this. Also, I totally respect what you're talking about to such a degree. I'm not on my phone, (laughs) you know? And also, how are you going to get out of this? Yeah. Yeah. How is this, how are we going there? How are we getting to the point where we all start laughing again? Right, right. And not only that, I think that happens a few times. Yeah. yeah. Where you're just like, oh, what, why, how do we, <laughs> okay, what's next? And he does it again and again. At the very beginning where he just talks about the wound itself, um, then he just interrupts himself. By the way, if one more person... yeah. Just like that little bit of, of, of anger at how people try to deal with grief. Right. And with the best of intentions. That moment is like the stepping stone for the rest of it. It's cool how he's still very much himself. Like like this tragedy in his life, he still finds a way to to find a correlation between that and comic books. You know what I mean? He's yeah. a big yeah. comic. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just so yeah. cool how he's still very, at his core. He's It's who he is has been kind of unaffected by it. He's still, he still has that like silly comic book geek yeah. persona. And he's even able to make a correlation between this tragedy and that. I like in the way such a funny way too, with the, like they failed me because they yeah. didn't, they, they told me something and then it happened to be not right. true the way they handled their situations. All those things are, are escapisms. Yeah. Right. Whether, and we all have that, thing whatever it is in our lives that allows us to escape ourselves for some people it's sex for some people it's video games for other people's it's heroin whatever the fuck it is we all have that thing Mm. and and for him it's these escapist sort of fantastical things that's always been him like he said and then he gets to the point where there's just no escaping it and i think that's a I, I think that's a thing that almost anybody who's experienced any level of tragedy in their life can relate to. And 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 the and the sort of almost like <laughs> fury. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like it's like they failed the comic books failed him and then he's like then he turns around and he's like, Oh oh yeah, well fuck you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for not being there for me. I feel like one thing um I've realized is when you see someone grieving is uh and then they get mad at people for incorrectly approaching helping the grieving person. I think even, even when I'm guilty of doing the thing that's criticized, it's real. it's really nice to hear them voice. Like, stop saying this to me like that. I really liked that part, whether it's a, a death or a divorce or just even like a small breakup, just like you always have a friend that's like, I know you're trying, but what you're doing is making this worse. Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) to hear him like vocalize it and not like specify a person just like, by the way, just a heads up. Don't ever do this to me. I I really (laughs) like, I think we really like that. Yeah. It's a blanket statement of what most people do. Most people, just they feel tremendously uncomfortable with their own ability to comfort someone and their own, they don't know what to say. Yeah. And, 
you know, whether it's thoughts and prayer, everything just sounds so cliche and formulaic and like, I'm sorry. My, my mom died when I was 17 and I always, I always thought the whole I'm sorry thing was so, I even used to try to do a bit about it. Like, did you kill her? What are you apologizing for? You know, like there's no reason to say that there's, there's just, just having somebody just be aware of what you're going through is really enough, you know? How old is his daughter, by the way, or in this? Seven. Seven. That, that part really, because my, I didn't know your, your mother died. I'm sorry. Oh, I mean, <laughs> I mean busted. T- tough, it, tough it out. I'm gonna throw a balloon full of piss. <laughs> That's funny, dude. Yeah. Um, no, my my dad died when I was like six, and that when he was describing what do I say? Yeah, I was just that was when I got the most shaken up by that story because I was thinking about like when my mom told me how specifically she had to go about telling me because she was it was like in the lobby of the hospital where he had, he had had cancer for a while. And we talked about this a little bit on a, on another episode. The feeling is cause no one's really telling you like your father's sick, but you just think you're having a bunch of slumber parties. You're like, wow, this is like a lot. This is like a lot of school night slumber parties. This is kind of fun. And then, cause you don't understand the gravity of it. Cause yeah. I, I mean, I, I really didn't really understand any of it till probably in my teens or even twenties, honestly, like the magnitude of how it affected my life. So thinking about the way he, that principal told him that really like oh, struck a chord. Sunshine. Yeah. That was such a, and oh. yeah, it was, I, yeah. Whoever that person is, is a fucking saint. They yeah. can be able to articulate that and be able to guide him in that way. So, and have like, the confidence that's not his job. Say it. Yeah. Or her job. I don't, yeah. You know, but it's, to 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 be that in tune with the emotional life of children sure. and care enough to have that conversation, yeah, yeah. Um, very funny. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, 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 just to as long as we're sharing, like I, my, uh, and I've I've almost I've never really spoken about this um, in any public way, but um, so my. My older sister was killed in a plane crash on her honeymoon when I was 20. Um, and uh, it, it, the thing that struck me when people, man, just people would just be like, well, you know, you, they would tell me, because I lived in a very religious community, they were like, you, you should be happy. She's in a better place now. You should be happy. Mm-hmm. And I, oh my God, that just Murdered infuriated them. me. Yeah. And I was just like, and it also gave me a target because, right, because I'm so mad at the whole thing anyway. It's one of the right, stages right. of grief. And then I'd be like, really? Yeah. I should be happy. Oh, thank you for telling me. Yeah. Oh, now I know how to be. Yeah. Right. The thing is, is they were just trying their sure. best yeah. in yeah, a difficult yeah, yeah. situation to and say. They were very what, religious. Yeah, most yeah. What what religion? I grew up Protestant, evangelical Protestant uh, Christian. Okay. Very uh, very like. Uh, um, yeah. I, I grew duty. up I grew up Jehovah's Witness. Oh, you got Whoa. me and, Yeah. <laughs> You're like Prince. Champion. Yeah. Uh, same thing, man. People, because, you know, I don't know if you really know that we don't need to get into all the principles of it, but they believe I that know. when they die, 
Uh, some are selected to reign with rule with Jesus in heaven as the 144,000. It's full. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's full. Or you get resurrected to live in a paradise earth. So when my mom dies, like, well, you know, you'll be reunited with her in paradise earth. And it's like, that's, what does that do for me now? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm yeah. 17. My you world is You must have heard it over and over again. Oh, too. yeah. Oh, All the God. time. When he diverges quickly and you don't know where it's going about the philosophical argument for his lattice work of logic that he thinks might be in behind the warp and weft of the universe. And then her very simple, it's chaos, be kind and how she won the argument in the shittiest way possible. Yeah. The yeah. crowd reaction to that is this relief and laughter and, Oh, all at the same time. Yeah, pains them to laugh. They feel, you can feel the guilt in their laughter. Yeah. Nobody has done it with higher stakes than this, you know? But I love when a comic can can find the funny behind a tragedy and you feel that hesitant laugh from the audience. And it's like, I'm the one that went through it. Yeah. I'm the one making a joke about yeah. it. I want yeah. you to laugh at yeah. this, you know? You trying to be like, oh, I shouldn't, like, you're taking that away from me you're taking my you're taking away my ability to find the humor in this yeah you we, know we're doing stand-up and i was did this joke about that's about my dad dying and it's it's really absurdist and the idea is that he was holding my mom back because like her lifestyle went up when he died because right. she just like worked harder um but uh people got tight and it was one of those bits where it's like it's so vulnerable it never hadn't worked. Yeah. So, but this time it didn't work, and they found grown. And I got I got like pretty upset, and I kept my like comedy composure, but I was just like, "Really, you're getting upset? You're offended about my dad dying? Okay, what is his name? <laughs> like, like, what was his name?" <laughs> and then and then they laughed, and but it was like kind of this moment was like, "Yeah, you're this." That's the only thing that really offends me as a comedian right, right. is when someone takes offense to my tragedy. One of your points that we were talking about before was uh, it was to, to be sharing something vulnerable than be judged about it. Uh, what did you say, Harrison? You said they don't feel safe with you and you don't feel safe with them, yeah. the audience. You're sharing something vulnerable and they are uncomfortable with your vulnerability. Like when that happens, it doesn't happen that often, but I think that happens sometimes. And uh when you're sharing something vulnerable, they're upset by that. And then you're upset because you're like, well, I now don't feel safe because I thought this was a safe space. And then it turns out when I feel it's a safe space, you feel like it's not a safe space anymore. And like what I thought was us connecting is now turned like to this hostile relationship. Mm -hmm. And it's like awful because it's like, I just wanted to be comfortable with you. Yeah. When you're starting to work out material and we'll play the, the, the thing you've become known for to this point in your career that was on this not happening. Is there, when you were working out stories of that magnitude, did you go to certain community, like certain shows and certain open mics to work that out that you're like, I will be safe here. I won't feel like I can't open up. Kind uh, of thing. I did. I, so I started out, uh, going to storytelling shows. Ah, and the oh yeah. Was, I don't know if you guys have done storytelling uh -huh, shows, but uh -huh. it's very weird to go as a comic to go from doing comedy shows to doing storytelling shows where those audiences are not expecting to laugh. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if a story happens to be funny, that's, that's gravy, but they're not expecting to laugh. So when I'm trying to tell a story where I, it's woven with jokes yeah. and I have, 
specific punchlines in there where I'm trying to get laugh, have laugh moments to break the tension. And these storytelling crowds aren't laughing. Again, it's that sort of thing. It's like you're taking my ability to find humor in this away from me. Yeah. Like you're, yeah, you're taking I that see. away from me. I want, I want you to be able to find humor in this with me. Yeah. And they're like, uh, uh, we came here to be sad. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't, what it's do you, th- <laughs> it's like, uh, this is a sadness show. Uh, that more of like that poet poetry kind of crowd rather than the, it's you know. a very strange, I mean, I can't shit on the storytelling community, but it's a very strange, like, what does that lead to? You know what I mean? Like, some people are wonderful at it, but it's like, you. it either has to be, it has to be something. It has to be moving. It has to be incredibly sad. It has to yeah. be funny. It has to go somewhere, yeah. right? Um, so. <laughs> Otherwise, it's an anecdote. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, just. Yeah, tell me at a fucking party so I can walk away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's really <laughs> uh, so you went to these, you went to storytelling shows first. Yeah, so I went to storytelling shows first, and it was so frustrating because I was really trying to make. This was when I kind of I didn't have the green light to get the show on on the air yet, but I was working. I was had a back and forth with the producers. They expressed interest in the story, and they wanted me to send them. I, it, I've never worked harder on anything in my life. It's a continuous, like five month cycle of me sending tapes, me sending audio clips, just continually so cool. tweaking it. Which also was tough to get notes on something that personal. Ooh, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of a, a bit of a mind fuck. Like, yeah. all right, how are you going to give me notes on a story that is a, a play-by-play of of something Actual that happened to me? To yeah. It was this long, drawn-out process. So I started out with the storytelling shows, but it was so frustrating to not get that response that I wanted comedically, knowing this is going to be something on Comedy Central. I want to know this has the funny elements in there. So yeah. I need... I need to be able to get that response. So it was so became so frustrating at storytelling Can shows. Change. Can we change uh, her getting raped to having her bag stolen? This is a bit harsh. Can we change that to pickpocket? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he pickpockets her pussy. And that, it's not sexual. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really fucked up. Not stealing. How about if he was just a litter bug? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, he just throws a bag in the Hudson. An that's, altercation with. Uh, the litter bug and uh, and you got I, bruised. Yeah. <laughs> hey, buddy, that's a trash can. <laughs> that's a, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. I don't want to spoil too much. Oh yeah, yeah. I just foreshadowed uh, the bit. <laughs> so then I, it, it became it, it forced me being so frustrated with these storytelling shows that then forced me to be like, okay, I guess. I mean, if this is going to be a still a, a stand up set. It still is on a comedy network. Yeah. I got to do this at shows. You know, I got to do this on shows and I would do it on, on bar shows where I felt like, all right. Uh, it's, and it's also trying to find a spot to do 15 minutes oh, around the God. city is brutal. I mean, I was just begging yeah. producers left and right. Like, Hey, I know this is usually like an eight to 10 minute spot, but this is like 15 minutes and I can't cut it down. Can and, you yeah. please? Yeah. And, and, and I've seen who else is on the lineup. Could you just tell them not to come today? Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just being able to get that kind of stage time was a brutal process. Yeah. So I started out just running it on bar shows and then I thought, you know what, this is really gonna stand the test the the, the comedic litmus test. I need to be able to do this at a, at clubs. Yeah. 
So the uh, one of the one of the best times that I did this story actually was three years ago. Me and Anthony DeVito were in the finals of the Caroline's March Madness competition, yeah. and him and I started together. And uh, so it was down to it was down to him and I. We were the last yeah. two guys standing, and we each had uh, was it twelve minutes of going head to head. And I knew. I knew I could not beat him. Yeah. And me coming in second place to me, I would count as a win because he's always, even though we started together, he's like one of my favorite dudes. I mean, I, I look yeah, up to him. He's, he's fantastic. Yeah, and he's a, he's a, he's a absolute killer of a comic. So yeah. I knew that I didn't have the jokes to beat him. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to use this opportunity to tell this story. Cause that's a 12 minutes. Yeah. That's cool. 12 minutes. Yeah. Like I could go up there and try to do some jokes and win, but he's got me beat. So I'm going to use this stage time to tell this story a in a club setting. Freeing context to yeah. give you. Yeah. Give I almost like surrendered before I even yeah. did it. It's like, yeah. I'm not trying to win you guys totally. over with this. I just want to, Deliver this in a club setting where the crowd is hot, and I'm going to get an immediate reaction to what I'm doing you here. Get on stage, and you're just like, "Let's hear it for second place." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Like I said, that was a win for me. Even yeah. getting in second place, there was a win for me. Yeah. So to be able to do that, and then see that it had some legs, and then several years later, when I actually had the back and forth of the producers and had the opportunity to again to then get it on television. Um, I thought, you know, the real litmus test here is going to be able to get it to work in a club consistently. So I did that for a couple of months. I would use my 15-minute sets at clubs to do that story. Wow. And there were some there were some fucking brutal sets, oh. man. When you tell a story, if you're they're not on board and they yes. don't get on board, yep. that is brutal. Yeah. yeah, there's no backing out. Right. And what's even even higher stakes is that you're not there's no you're not hiding behind jokes that's you yeah that's your life they're saying no thank you to yeah. <laughs> a whole group of strangers all at once yeah it's yeah. brutal i love telling stories on stage yeah it is such a risk it yeah. is yeah absolutely yeah most such of my tragedy. most of my stand-up bits are are fairly short i mean i'm kind of more of fairly fairly i don't know if i'd say rapid fire but it's I don't have, it's not like a Gary Goldman-esque style that I have where it's like six minute chunks, 10 minute chunks, you know? So if I have a joke that bombs, you know, you can recover from that easily. But Uh yes, exactly. When you're telling a story, that is a fucking investment. You are, once you go down the the slope in that luge, it's a long way to the end, you know? And you're just, you're in there. Mm -hmm. So it's very, it's very, there were plenty of times where I could tell two, three minutes into it that I did not have them. And I would just fucking put a 15 minute set. I would get through in like eight minutes and then try to just do jokes at the end. Just so I didn't feel terrible about myself. Why do you like tragedy in general for, for comedy? What is it for you? That's attractive. I genuinely do think that to me, the, the funniest things are, are finding the comedy in horrible, in horrible things because it's just, it's part of life. It's inevitable. Mm -hmm. Tragedy befalls everybody. It's just a matter of time of Mm -hmm. when and to what, uh, extreme. 
I also like the idea of challenging an audience in that way of kind of what we were talking about. Like, mm. this is my own personal tragedy. Like you, you don't have the right to take offense at this. Yeah. You know, you don't yeah. have that right. Uh-huh. You're getting offended on behalf of me. Yeah. And yeah. mad at me. Exactly. <laughs> at same, I don't get it. And yeah. even like the, the, the patent, the patent special, the first, there's like a solid, like two, three minutes there where he's not getting any laughs nope. and he's, and, not he's for him and he very well could. I mean, he's an established guy. He has a solid fan base. Yeah. He could very easily have been like, you know what? This is a horrible thing that happened to me, but I'm going to find a way to make it funny. And he could have just gone into jokes about that, yeah. but he didn't do that. He painted a picture as if he painted a picture in a way that it would be understood and the gravity of it would weigh on, everybody no matter if you were a fan of his or you had never heard of him before mm-hmm. you know what i mean so he's conveying like my wife died i have a daughter i had to break the news to my daughter he's not he's really breaking down for you the entire process of what he went through and there's a solid two three minutes there of the the crowd just letting it weigh on them who obviously everybody there was was there to see him but you can see that discomfort on them you're like Oh, and and they all know. I'm sure that he's going to get into it. Actually, yeah, I want to touch on that. Um, I was really blown away by my own reaction to the special and the anticipation of him bringing that topic up. Because mm-hmm. I, I sat back and analyzed, wait, why did I feel like this? And so I sat there, and for the first part of his special, he talks mostly about Trump, and but the whole time, I'm like, talk about your dead wife. Yeah. Talk about your dead wife. And I was struck with like, I do not know another area of life where I'm like, please talk about the most uncomfortably sad thing you possibly could. I cannot wait. Yeah. Yeah. That is something that I is I think sort of uniquely special and beautiful. And I'm I'm not I'm not saying other arts don't touch on difficult, tough stuff. Of course they do. But in particular, stand-up. We want that. I don't even know why. Yeah. Because they're making it okay for them, in a way, the, 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 the artist. But, in, but for us, we're also saying, please make the tragedy of my experience bearable. Yeah, I felt the same way. And also, that's what's cool about it, too. It's almost like it's two different specials in one. It's like the Trump stuff, and then the, there's the whole crowd work chunk in the middle, and the whole purpose for that is because he's... He himself is avoiding yes. getting into it. Yes. Like he doesn't even want to tackle it himself. And you yes. can feel like he's almost out of breath when he starts talking about it. Cause he's like, okay, here we go. Here we go. Here yeah. we go. So it's like watching it. I too was thinking, all right, when's he going to talk about his dead wife? When's he going to talk about his dead wife? And then once he started to, it was like, no, 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 no. You know, it's so like, You're I felt like, my oh, palms sweating, oh like this anxiety oh. of like, oh, Jesus, he's going to do it. Yeah. Don't do it. You right. don't have to do it. Right. Yeah. And, and, and can you imagine, by the way, can you imagine working that out oh exactly that's oh that, that oh, yeah. that's the toughest part for a special oh going up on stage in clubs where everybody knows you everybody, everybody knows, knows what you're capable of they know that you're a comedic powerhouse and they know Legends. what happened yes most people who, who are going to see him yeah. know like i knew going yeah. into that special yeah. of course not everybody's yeah. going to know but i knew and I was just like, how is he going to get pity this? the second he takes the stage? It's like, oh, look, he's pity. back. Yeah, yeah. He's back. It's really scary. Yeah. And him, him, I mean, nobody wants that. Nobody wants no. pity. And him having to overcome that every time he takes the stage, yeah. that must have been incredibly frustrating for him to 
be on stage talking about that and wanting to elicit laughs because again he's wor- he's still a comedian he's yeah. still working on something for a comedy special and the hesitation that I'm sure he must have gotten across the board from people thinking that they didn't earn the right to laugh at this right when he's the one that's trying to make the comedy out of it yeah. <laughs> it's it's, in- it's insane what is your process to transmute that woe into laughter what 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 steps do you take or do you have a process when you start to talk you're like okay this is dark this is this is me this is personal right. i'm going to start i'm going to start chipping away at this uh well i'll say this i i knew that i was going to talk about it on stage pretty much not not the minute it happened but in the immediate aftermath mm-hmm. so like when i was standing on the street bleeding all over my shoes waiting for the ambulance to show up i was 2 years into stand up and i thought I think I'm going to get a good chunk of comedy out of this. <laughs> oh, I really did. Great. Yeah, yeah. I was like, all right, this is something that I have to be able to find the humor. And it's it's going to be, it's also going to be something that everybody is going to expect me to talk about. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I didn't, I still hadn't seen the extent of the damage at that point. I just knew it was bad. All the, all the cops were reacting as if it was like, you know, uh, so I knew, all right, I'm going to have, I'm going to have a big fucking hideous scar on my face and the word is going to spread within the comedy community. Even though I'm a newer comic, I'm only two years in. I'm not, it's not like I'm fucking talk of the town yet, but people are going to know about this and people are going to expect me to talk about it. I can't go back on stage two weeks from now and be like, so my girlfriend and I, you know, like people want to hear about this. I was running a show in the West village at the time, a monthly show, monthly bar show. Our, our our next show was like maybe two weeks after it happened. I had just gotten my stitches out like a few days before, so it was still just fucking raw and gnarly looking. And I didn't even really have any jokes written yet. I just kind of spitballed on stage, which I really don't do. That's not my style. I mean, I definitely try to write tight jokes. But I just kind of knew that I had to talk about it. And the response I got from the crowd was fantastic. It was yeah. thrilling. Just well, people I, wanted to hear something real and, and weighty. That's a little different, too, just because you start off a hero. Yeah. Right? I think specifically what I'm, I'm trying to, to, to get to is when you're talking about something that's tragic to you mm-hmm. and it's difficult for you to talk about. Like, for example, we spoke about after you did your first Conan, you're, you're, you're now working on that material. Right. You said that it helped to get some outside perspective. Yes. Let's yes. reference for the listeners what he means, af- uh, what you mean about after Conan. This is a great opportunity to introduce Doug Smith. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Come on. Let's talk about sex. So Doug Smith, in March, as we've been referencing, Doug told a story on Comedy Central's This Is Not Happening uh, with Roy Moore, right? Now Roy Moore is doing Roy, it. Roy Wood Jr. <laughs> Roy, Roy Moore is a pedophile mayor or governor. Yeah. <laughs> I'm making it my business not to know Roy things. Moore. Uh, <laughs> a child molester. You shouldn't be hosting. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'm molested. It's an about thought pedophilia yeah. would elevate his career yeah. so much. Yeah. Roy Wood Jr. Yeah. Roy Wood Jr. With Roy Very Wood Jr. Uh um, I I, lo- I, I, I tell you, funny. never underestimate the level of my ignorance. It's, <laughs> I, it's really yeah. good. Uh, 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 <laughs> I told a story that we're going to play. 
And it's about a woman who he saved from being raped and in the subway and got knifed in the face in the process. So we're gonna talk. We're gonna we're gonna play that in a little bit. But also, Doug was on Conan a couple years ago. Is that right? Right. Like it was like yeah, June 2016. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a great set. Uh, I'm gonna rattle off a couple more things. Feel free to uh, feel uh, uh, uncomfortable. Most people do. <laughs> so selected as a new face for Montreal's Just for Last Festival in 2013. That's a huge deal in the comedy community. We like we ah we go crazy over that. Also, a variety of other festivals, and then he was chosen to host six sold out shows for Norm Macdonald. What a cool! That's awesome, man. I was on the heel, heels of those Carolines competitions, mm-hmm. so yeah, those were helpful. Doug really also, funny. <laughs> <laughs> big Norman. Doug also co-hosts a stand-up variety show, also with Roy Moore, known pedophilia <laughs> expert. <laughs> no, it's called See You in Hell, and the Comedy Bureau, a a big like online publication that's all about all good things in comedy. It's based out of LA, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. They listed as one of the top 100 best things in comedy of 2014. Co-hosted by my buddy, Matt Wayne. Got to give Matt Wayne a shout out. Yep. Yep. And he's also the creator and star of a web series called The Secret Weapon. And that's been received quite a bit of praise and critical acclaim and a bunch of other stuff that you'll see in the show notes. So Doug, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you guys. Yeah, thanks for coming, man. Let's let's talk about that Conan set and what happened afterward. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny to it's funny to equate. You know, if we're talking about tragedy, let me preface this by saying this is certainly not a tragedy on any uh, level as as Patton Oswalt's dead wife, or even you know, getting a my face slash. Which yeah. in actuality, that whole thing, everybody else seemed to make a much bigger deal out of it than I did. Um, the but the whole thing with Conan, yeah, yeah. I think that's for good reason, right? Yeah, but like I was kind of like unaffected by it, to tell you the truth. I was really? in the same subway station a couple of weeks later and like, I'm fine. You know what I mean? You really think I need to go to the hospital? I don't think I need to go to the hospital. I have Neosporin. Oh, dude. Well, I, don't know, I don't know if you've ever was... had an injury like that. I've never, I've never yes. broken a bone in my life. I've never had anything like that. Honestly, the first thing that came to mind is like, oh, what a fucking inconvenience. Yes. Yes. You know? yes. I was on my way home to Brooklyn to go have drinks with a buddy. It was like 10 o'clock on a Thursday. I was gearing up for the weekend. You know, I had just bought, I had just bought some weed, you know, I had weed in my backpack and now oh, it's yeah. like, I got to yeah. fucking go to the hospital. Yeah. I got to get yeah. stitched up. Yeah, dude. I had a glass desk break on me when I was moving it and uh, it, I'd half cut my hand off and they had to stitch it back on. I'm in the ambulance. I'm going, I'm in shock and I'm like calling clients to uh, let yeah. them know that I can cancel the appointments. I'm like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> my hand is falling I, off. This is very inconvenient. Yeah. <laughs> very, very funny. Do, do you think that's a New York thing or is that just a life thing and a, and a person that's dealt I with I think trauma? it's a life thing, but I also think it's definitely a New York thing. I mean, we all, it's a running joke of when people jump in front of the train, everybody just derails everybody who's already late for work. <laughs> yeah. you know? like, dude, kill yourself on your own time. So we've set the stage. So, yes. Yeah, so this Conan thing is not on the same. This is more of like an internal turmoil. This is like a, a war of my own mind. So, yeah, 2016, I had been... Uh, submitting a late night set to the Conan Booker and people that are listening that are not comics still probably know that a late night set, even though late night sets are like, 
a dime a dozen now, and and there's a million late night shows and a million comics, and Still, no one even fucking watches them. It's yeah. not like it was 30 years ago where you right. do a Carson and you have your own sitcom the next day. It's not like that, but it's still, it's, it's just one of those milestones in your comedy career that like you want to check that off your list. And it's like four months of radio silence. It looked like I wasn't doing. I basically given up. I was like, all right, I guess I'm not doing the show. I yeah. I thought I had an in, but I haven't heard from the guy. Finally, on like a Thursday. I get a call from my manager. He's like, hey, uh, Conan Booker uh, just called me. I was like, yeah, what's he think of the set? He's like, he wants to know if you can do it on Monday. So I have four days notice. Wow. Which honestly is great because you don't have time to overthink it. And it's like, you know the set, you know? So it's like, all right, good. Let's fucking bang it out. I know this set. Let's go do it. So it was just a wonderful, that day was just a wonderful day, you know, to go home. And like my in-laws, I get home from work and my in-laws, I see their, their car parked outside my building and I'm super close with them. So it was like this wonderful moment. I get to tell my wife and my son and my in-laws all at the same time. Oh, you know, my son's sweet. eight months old. He doesn't yeah. know what the fuck's going on, but yeah. still like, it was just like this joyous Conan. moment. Conan, can you say Conan? Yeah. I'm so excited. I was shaking him. You're not supposed to shake a baby. <laughs> help myself. Conan! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so then I'm on the plane on Sunday. I'm on my, on the, I'm on my way out to LA. So the next day I ate my breakfast, went to the gym for a little bit, took a swim, just trying to just enjoy the day not yep. make too big of a deal out of it. Like, all right, Hey man, I'm in the home stretch. I've done this set before. I know this set, uh, the driver picks me up and I'm, I'm loose enough too that I'm like, sh- I'm like shooting the shit with the driver, you know, cause he works for, uh, he works for TBS, so he he's yeah. he's drives all these celebrities to and from the show. And I was like, Hey, who who have you worked for before? Like, give me the dirt. Who's who's like the biggest assholes in Hollywood? Oh, cool. Without missing a beat, he's like he's like he's like he's like this little Chicano guy named Hector too. So he's like sounds exactly like Cheech Marin. He's like, uh, Robert De Niro's a dick, Sybil Shepherd's a bitch, and, <laughs> and Dwayne the Rock Johnson's the biggest fucking dick. <laughs> <laughs> Just like Uh-oh. seamlessly just rattled, rattled off three people. And I was like, really? The Rock? And he's like, man, this motherfucker has a, has a clause in his contract. Do not speak unless spoken to. That fucker tried to have me fired for saying good morning to him. And I was like, man, I thought The Rock was cool. Like, yeah. this, is, this is crazy to get this insight. You, you just know? lost my vote as president. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> oh, what a phony. So it's just a super entertaining ride to the, to the lot. And they pull into the, they pull into the lot. He has to go through security and he rolls down the window. He's like, Hey, I'm just dropping off the talent. And like, I'm like, I'm the talent. That's so cool. I'm the talent. He said, I'm talented. (laughs) (laughs) That is cool. Uh, so I, I go in and, uh, JP Buck is the is the booker of the show, and uh, he comes into the green room. He's just like, I'm just (laughs) every comic waiting. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, so he sits down with me. And he's just like a fucking Zen master. He just totally, I was already feeling pretty comfortable, but he even put me at ease even more. He's like, hey, man, you got a great set. You got to, you should feel confident in it. It's a, it's a killer. You're going to do great. Remember when Conan says your name, it's your show. It's your stage. Cool. Just Comedy have fun fluffery. out there. Comedy yeah, fluffery. totally. You just yeah. got your dick really hard to yeah, do stand up. Do you want a fuck show? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Bring it back around. So he's just making me feel just, I just feel like it just feels like a warm embrace. Like, Oh, I belong here. These people want me here. This just feels good. You know, he's like, it's not live. If you fuck up, we can, you can start a joke over. We can edit, like just have fun out there. Relax. It'll be cool. So I feel great about it. And, uh, 
you know, I get my suit on and wear the suit that I, that I, uh, my wedding suit. Um, and, uh, they, they, the crew guys bring me out like two minutes before I'm supposed to go on stage and I'm standing behind that curtain and I'm all amped. I'm like doing fucking jumping jacks and fist bumping the crew guys. And they're, you know, they, they've seen it, but it's nothing new to them. Yeah, like yeah. We, we're, we're fucking union, dude. We don't care about your fucking journey, you know? Yeah. So they, it's <laughs> <laughs> not like Mike Racine works. Like <laughs> <laughs> so I hear my name and it's just kind of like an out of body experience, yeah. you know, like the curtain parts, I step out, hit my mark and, uh, it's kind of like it almost felt like I was having a, like a, a reverse like Charlie Brown moment. Like I couldn't, I didn't even understand. I didn't even hear the words that were coming out of my mouth. It was just kind of like wah 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 wah. Yeah. But then like hearing the hearing the laughs. Yeah. <laughs> so because it's so wild. autopilot by that point. Yeah, it's so autopilot, and you're just you're really just trying not to fuck up. And it's like you want to treat it like a live show, like like a, any other show that you're doing. But you know it, it's it's being broadcast you know it is different it shouldn't be it you shouldn't really feel that way but it's inevitable so i it's almost like i can't it's kind of like this weird out-of-body experience where it's like i can't even hear the words that are coming out of my mouth but i know that i'm getting the reaction that i'm supposed to get it's like all right this is the antithesis of the way it went at the hollywood improv this is how these jokes are supposed to land so i do the set uh um, thank you so much. I'm Doug Smith. Conan comes over, shakes my hand. That was fantastic. He says that to everybody, but it's like, yeah, I think he really means it. You know, I yeah. think I did all right. Uh, Kumail Nanjiani was on the show. He oh, came cool. over to me and uh, and he was like, that was your first late night? That was fucking awesome. He's like, my, my first letterman, I was shitting my pants, man. <laughs> That's a good impression. <laughs> I did not see that But, like, comment. he made me feel great. Yeah. Like, like, he was like, that was, that was your first late night? Wow. Like, that was awesome. Knighted you. So, yeah, that great coming from night. him made, felt, felt awesome. Yeah. So I go back in my dressing room, and I call my wife. I call my manager, and I just feel just this huge wave of relief wash over me. Like, I fucking did it. It's behind me now. I just, I don't think I've ever felt more just relaxed in my life. And, uh, so I was in a bit a celebratory mood. I had no plans that night. So I, uh, I go out to the car. Hector's there. He opens the door for me. He's like, how you feel, man? I was like, I feel pretty good, man. I feel, I feel like it went pretty well. He's like, he's like, were you nervous? And I was like, uh, you know, a little bit, but not, not too bad. He's like, you look nervous, man. I was like, what? I was like, did you watch my set? He's like, yeah, man, I watch everybody's sets. He's like, definitely wasn't one of my favorites, but you did all right. Oh, what? Yeah. And I was like, oh my and God. And his word meant no more than Kumail. The Rock doesn't want you to talk. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I wish I had that clause in my fucking contract. <laughs> so I was like, really? I looked nervous? He's like, yeah, man, you looked a little nervous when you came out there, but it kind of, you know, it went away. You're all right. You're all right. And I was like, oh, my God, who the, who the fuck does this guy think he is to think he's earned the right to, like, critique my set on the biggest night of my life? He drops me off. I go up to my, I go up to my room, and I flip on the television. I go into my duffel bag, and uh, the night before I left, my buddy Matt, who I run my show, run the show with Matt Wayne, he gave me this Tootsie Roll weed edible. Bring this on your trip. You can celebrate after your set. So I was like, all right, cool. So I go into my duffel bag and I pop the edible and my whole plan is to like, it's like seven o'clock right now. So my whole plan is like, eat this edible, eat my In-N-Out burger, take a shower, go for a swim, ride the wave of the edible. And then when I'm coming down 11 o'clock, Conan will be on. 
when I'm coming, you know, I've, I've already will have, you know, finished my weed trip or whatever. And I'll be able to just, you know, watch it in bed and then just get a good night's sleep. That's how edibles work. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I pop this thing and like the second after I swallow it, I, a commercial comes on for the episode. It's like, tonight on Conan, Camille Nanjiani, UFC fighter, Misha Tate, comedian Doug Smith. Uh, tune in at 8 p.m. And I was like, wait a second, 8 p.m. Oh, my God, I forgot about the fucking three-hour time difference. No. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I was like, 8 p.m.? That's an hour from now. I just ate this fucking thing. Yeah. Like, and it was just like, no, <laughs> this can't be happening. Like, yeah. I, I should have done a fucking handstand and jam my whole fist down my throat yeah. and try to pick it up, you know? But I was like, it's okay, it's okay. I'll be okay, I'll be okay. Maybe yeah. it won't kick in. Maybe it'll take a while to kick in. I just, like, I'm already freaking out about tripping while watching my right. set. Which is you know? exactly how you, any psychedelic, the more anxious you can be before you take it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the better. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and also, I found out since that the way the post late night appearance is just as important as mm. the appearance. So like, so like meaning like, where do you watch it? Do you watch it with friends? Do you not watch it at all? Do you wait to watch it online the next day? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it's a heavy thing to wow, yeah. see your first late night appearance, you know, and, and Surreal. be able to weigh how you did right. objectively and not be too hard on yourself. Like right. you want to be right. So what I've heard from other people is you don't want to be alone. You don't want to be drunk or high. And you don't want to be like in a weird foreign place, you know? And I already had those three strikes against me. I'm fucking all alone. I'm just immediately freak before it's even kicked in. I'm just hyper paranoid, freaking out like, oh my God, this is going to be a nightmare. It's like, all right, I'll get some food in me. I'm already guzzling water at this point. Anything I can to try to limit the effects of this edible. I'm feeling okay. It's not kicking in yet. The show starts. He does his monologue. I'm still feeling fine. Kumail comes out. Hasn't kicked in yet. Misha Tate comes out. And I'm like, all right, I think I'm going to be able to make it through. Like, it goes to com- right before it goes to commercial. Like, coming up next, comedian Doug Smith. Sure enough, the second it goes to commercial break, just a fucking donkey kick to the head. Just like, it just hits me with everything. And just like, my vision, my vision is like, super narrowed and focused my my hearing is just like wah, like my whole spine starts tingling it just it every all of it just hits me and i just i just think oh my god i'm about to watch my first late night appearance high out of my fucking mind i can't handle i can't handle this this is not how it's supposed to be what a fucking idiot i am i hate myself already for even doing that i hate myself for Going, not having a plan in place. I, I had no other people in LA. I should have like gone to a buddy's house. I should have uh, invited someone over to come watch it with me. I shouldn't be alone right now. Come, yes, <laughs> he would have made me feel wonderful. Oh, God. Am I nervous? Uh, so this is a great story. It comes back, <laughs> comes back from commercial break, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Guzzling water. I've already drank like four fucking waters. <laughs> And it's like, all right, your next, uh, our next guest is a comedian making his, uh, his late night, late night debut. Please give a warm, warm welcome to Doug Smith. And I watch myself come out on stage. I hear everything that's coming out of my mouth. I hear all the jokes that I'm saying uh-huh. and I hear zero from the crowd. <laughs> nothing. Not a fucking peep. Like nothing. And I'm like, did they, did they forget to mic the crowd? Like what is, what is happening here? I'm not hearing any laughs. 30 seconds goes by. My first joke, nothing. Next joke, nothing. 
two minutes in, I'm like, I don't, I don't think I've gotten a laugh yet. What the fuck is are going on? Like I'm confused why you're thanking the crowd during the set. <laughs> like, are you like, thanks, Kenton. Appreciate it. All right. Next. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm just like, how is this? I, I was there. I was there doing it. I remember it very differently. I remember getting laughs at the time. I don't hear any of those laughs oh, now. Was I, am I delusional? Is this, is this real? Was that real? I don't know. What's real? What's fake? What the fuck is happening right now? So the whole set goes by. It's a, what? Almost a five minute set. Zero laughs. And I'm standing up in my underwear watching it and I just this wave of just failure just washes over me like oh my god I just blew my entire stand-up career on national television and all all these feelings of self-doubt that you have all along I knew I was a fraud I knew I wasn't cut out for this before you do something like that everybody thinks that your stand-up is like a hobby they're like are you still doing the stand-up and then I was getting texts and pictures from family that I hadn't seen in 10 years of them having like viewing parties of them watching the show they finally think that you've made it for them to finally see you and then just fucking blow it and just be exposed as a fraud to everybody that, you know, I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, this is insane. I can't believe I just, I I was like, I'm going to be a dog walker the rest of my life. Uh, this is, this is it. I now know I'm it sucks that it came to this point, but I now know that I can never do this again. That will be my last time on stage. Compounded to the nth degree because you're on pot. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like oh just, yeah oh just like gollum on your shoulder just like no yeah. <laughs> no right. they hate you uh, fraud, yeah. fraud. wait what oh my god <laughs> yeah man yeah my own inner voice was just you fucking failure you suck then like some texts start rolling in and it's all from family uh-huh. you know um being like hey man great job great job you killed it awesome job but i'm like all right, that's all family. They have to say that. You know, they have to say that. I'm like, I'm not getting any texts from friends. So all my friends just watch me bomb, and they're afraid to fucking, they don't have anything to say. What are they no, going to say to that? You know, up, they're, yeah. not, they're just going to avoid it, right? Lo and behold, it's because all my friends are fucking broke. They don't have cable. They can't watch it till the next day. So that's why they're not texting. <laughs> they got to do the YouTube party. Yeah, but yeah. at the time, it's like, oh, they all watch me bomb. They don't know how to address it. That's not why oh they're not. So all the texts are coming in from family that has fucking cable still. <laughs> the existential just crisis I'm going through right now is so bad. I'm trembling at this point. So now the mental stuff has turned physical and I'm just like trembling. feels like my heart's going to beat out of my chest. All I want to do is fucking take a shower, but I'm shaking so hard. I think I'm going to like slip and die in the shower. I'm like, well, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't slip and die in the shower. So you can't scrub the shame off. No, yeah. no, I gotta sit in this. You could I, die. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I meant to just sit in this. By the way, I feel like this story you're telling just for, this is like every com- comedian's paranoia, like manifested in one extreme yeah, version. Yeah. On yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that's everybody crazy. has these thoughts. Everybody has these thoughts of like when's you know the jig's gonna be up at some point some people are gonna find out i'm not cut out for this i've made it this far but i'm not you know this is undeserving i shouldn't have made it this far i'm a fraud i'm a failure everybody feels that everybody feels that but to have it after something like this after having it after this milestone moment Mm -hmm. all alone high it was just like crushing yeah yeah the combination of ingredients to make yourself just full of self-hate and and terror was just un- overwhelming. So I climb into bed and I'm like 
it's still just in my underwear. I climb into bed and I just pull the covers up over me. And now I'm, I'm trembling at this point. Like it feels like I have the flu and I'm just staring at the ceiling fan over my, it's like that scene in apocalypse. Now I'm just like staring at the ceiling fan, just wondering what happened to my life. And I'm like, I'm going to die in bed. I can't believe I'm going to die in a hotel room. The night I bombed my Conan set, like this is the most Hollywood thing ever. I'm just going to die of a drug overdose, <laughs> even though it's a weed edible. This was laced with it. something. I don't know what the fuck was in this edible, but this is not a weed edible. So then I start texting my buddy, Matt, the one that gave it to me. And I all caps. I just wrote, this shit is poison. And he was like, what? And I was like, this weed edible. What the fuck is in this thing? And he's like, you only ate half, right? And I was like, no. He's like, I told you eat half. And I was like, no, you didn't. And of course, even if he did, you know how it is with that sort of shit. Like, well, I'm, I'm no fucking kid. I can take a whole thing. So. I I was glad that I had like <laughs> the timestamp of me texting him that it was poison because I was already thinking far enough ahead like I'm gonna die in bed tonight when the cops find my body the next morning they're gonna check my phone yeah. and they're gonna see this text hopefully they'll put it together that I died of an overdose oh, of some oh, kind overdose of weed yeah, yeah. I have an overdose of weed. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, how sad is this for my kid? My son is eight months old. His father, oh, no. his, whole, his father's oh, legacy is going to be dying in his hotel room the night he bombed his Conan set. Oh God! And still, all I want to do is take a shower because I still be more comedian. By the way, uh, dying alone in a hotel room of a drug overdose. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 or be yeah. Farley. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But. I still have a fucking full face of makeup. All I want to do is take a shower. <laughs> and then I'm like, well, at least if I die in bed, it'll be that much easier for the mortician. Right. <laughs> I did a pretty good job here. Yeah. So I'm, I'm so convinced I'm going to die at this point, And I'm so terrified of being, of going out that way of just dead in a hotel room that I like climb out of bed and I, pull some pants on and I pull on a t-shirt and I'm like, I got to go down to the lobby. If I'm going to die, I got to die in front of people so that I'm found immediately. So I go to, I'd like shuffle my way down to the lobby. And as I'm walking down there, it's a whole field trip full of like middle schoolers <laughs> going to universal studios walks in. I'm like, all right, good. At least I'll die in front of all these children. Like people <laughs> will see me. I'll, I'll some, so someone bad. will get help if I collapse. Yeah. So I'm just sitting in the in a chair in the lobby of the hotel, just trembling. Oh my god! And, and of course, of course, everybody around me, I think, is looking at me like they all watched me bomb. They all watched the set. They're <laughs> they're all looking at me now like that's the guy who just fucking ate dick on Conan. Like that's how the extent of the paranoia. I think everybody in the hotel lobby has watched me bomb. They know I'm the guy, you know. So then I, I like I got to keep drinking water. I got this has to go away. And now I'm just like peeing every five minutes. I've got like two gallons of water in me. I'm drinking coffee. Nothing is helping. Caffeine plus, that's not a... Oh, yeah. My heart was just... So finally, it's like cut to like two o'clock in the morning. I'm down in the hotel lobby for like a solid three hours. I finally feel like starting to come down a little bit. And I go back up to my room. And I'm like, all right, I think I, I think I might be able to actually sleep now. I'm still in emotional turmoil thinking I just blew my career, but at least I can, I, th I don't think I'm going to die at this point. So I climb into bed and all I want to do at this point, when I start to feel the come down, all I want to do is be able to watch my set in a sober state to see if I actually bombed or not. Every hour or so, I'm just Googling Doug Smith Conan, Doug Smith Conan. Nothing is up yet. I don't, I'm like, I don't know when they post it. Yeah. When the fuck are they going to post it? I need to watch this. So then to make myself feel better... I'm like, all right, I'm going to watch other people's Conan sets because maybe that's just, 
<laughs> maybe that's just how everybody's set comes across. Maybe every set just comes across with nobody getting laughs, right? <laughs> so I watch, uh, oh, I watch one of Sam Arill's sets. I think his one from like 2014. And just murders. And I'm like, oh, my God. It made me feel feel 10 times worse. It's like, nope, just me. Clearly, it is possible to do well on this show and get laughs. I very clearly heard them. I am the only fucko that just blew it. You know, I'm not cut out for this. That's why they're not posting it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is the whole fucking set is left on the cutting room floor. I try to fall asleep and I set an alarm for every hour and every hour I roll oh over God. and I Google to see if it's been posted yet. Six o'clock in the morning, I roll over and I'm sober at this point and I watch it and I'm like, all right, I think I heard some laughs there. And I watch it again. It's like, yeah, I think, I think, I think, I don't think I did well, but I didn't completely eat a dick you know i heard some laughs and then finally by the fourth time watching i was like okay i think i think i did okay i think i I think i did well enough to at least get out of bed and face the day then the texts start rolling in from friends from peers from mentors i'll be like hey man great job great job you killed it and so it was this fucking roller coaster ride of the performance itself feeling absolutely amazing about it and i i checked this off my list and fucking knocked it out of the park to just this slow descent into madness and self-doubt and self-hate and thinking I blew my entire career, thinking I was going to, convinced I was going to die. I really thought this weed edible. Plus panic attack. Yeah, I thought this weed edible was laced with God knows what. I thought my heart was just going to explode in my sleep. Uh. To then the next morning coming back around with these texts and accolades rolling in to finally on the flight home, it was almost like grieving like, a death of something and then finding out that they didn't die. You know yeah. what I mean? Oh, like, wow. I, it was almost like I, I watched my entire comedy, like seven years of comedy, just, yeah. just vaporize in front of me. Like what should have been the best day of my life career wise turned into the worst night of my life. And then finally coming around to be like, okay, I think, I think I did. I think I did. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's so moral of the story. Uh, <laughs> Don't watch your set alone, high on a weed edible in a strange hotel room. As you've been working that story out, right, and you're 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 playing with it, what's your process for make to hit those touch points of 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 woe of of right. uh, to make sure people understand how painful it was for you, but also make that pain uh, entertaining and funny. It's tough because when whenever you're talking about an experience that you're having on drugs, it's not based. In reality, it's an entire it's an entirely like mental breakdown that's happening in your own mind that no one else is experiencing. Right. right? So it's not even like based on facts or events. It's all just the the the, the journey of the mind. And you the, know and the emotions involved. The emotions at least are universal. Sure, sure. Right? Not the maybe the circumstances around them. Right. So it's hard to it is hard to like convey that and have and like have convey the the weight of the 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 stress that i was under at that point without just being like oh he was just high you know it's just a weird a weird trip but it's because i think what i'm trying to do is convey that what should have been a celebratory moment for me i sabotaged with my own stupidity you know of of doing this stupid thing like why couldn't have i just had a beer you know have a beer and just but it, but it's like the the, t- the time difference thing. I thought I was gonna like come down before the show came on, so it's like trying to convey that I sabotaged this own moment that I had that should have been good. Right. And what what's also hard is trying to convey this whole thing without just sounding like 
almost ironically like too Hollywood in a way. Like, oh, this guy's talking about like doing a late night set, but he didn't think it went well, but it did go well, yeah. you know? Yeah. And uh, one of my favorite definitions of irony is a few, but it's when the effect of something is the opposite of its intent. Right. Right. And so in this case, your intent was to fucking celebrate yeah. a great moment. And then, of course, you had the opposite experience. Right. What, what could be more the opposite of celebration than the absolute dissolution of your ego? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Crippling, crippling self-doubt and the belief that you're going to die. Right. <laughs> so, like, yeah, it, it's all there. And it, but it's, it's, that's tough. You have to get people so far into your mind right. without, without making them go, fuck this guy and his little humble brag. Yes, exactly. That's that's the last thing I want to convey. I'm like, oh, this guy is just trying to tell us that he was on Conan, but he did a good. He actually did a good job after right. all. You right. know what I mean? Right. So the the, the self deprecation really has to come across even more so to mm-hmm. be like, yes, I did this thing, but the shit storm that I went through in the immediate aftermath yeah. counteracted all of that. Are you laughing about it right away? No, okay. not at all. Okay, so not how long did it take you before you started to see that moment funny? Uh, when I came home. People, you know, I would see other comics at shows and they would congratulate me on the set. Like, hey, man, watch your Conan killer job. And I felt I couldn't even take the compliment without having to convey to them like, oh, thanks. But I fucking ruined it that night. Like I had to I had to let everybody know Mm -hmm. that it wasn't as it appeared. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it wasn't what you saw. Like you saw you probably thought that I went on, had a did a great job and then had a great night, but I ruined it all and I have to convey that. (laughs) Turned instead, you were like, I'm gonna run a victory lap at night in the woods and there's a bear chasing me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fucking perfect. (laughs) It was it's almost like the extent of like if somebody's like, Hey Harrison, I like that t shirt, and you're like, Oh, this I got it for three bucks at a garage sale. You know what I mean? Like you have to undercut a co- undercut a compliment, yeah, yeah, you know what right. I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what I was doing when people would congratulate me. I had to tell everybody about this crisis I went through. Yeah. And then them being like, oh my God, I can't believe you fucking did that. I can't believe that happened to you. That's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. I, I have a few stories like that. I have some drug stories that are like, oh my God, I did this all to myself, one thing yeah. after another, that are really, really fun to tell. It's interesting you say it's hard to get people on board with those. Right. Uh, just because they're just like, yeah, well, they all sort of happen in your head. Yeah. Also, the stories where the tragedy is inflicted by your own stupidity mm-hmm. versus life. Yes. I think those are two very different things, right? Yeah, yeah, certainly. Right. And and because, right, when it's, when it's just you, you have to hit that self-deprecation button over and over and over and over and over again right. so that people get that you get that you did it to yourself yeah. and that it's yeah. funny because you did it to yourself. Yeah. The blame cannot be put on anyone else. Right. Yeah. Right. Whereas when you're taught, when you're doing something like what pot with Patton did right. and, and, and kind of what we're going to get into with your, with the next story is um, it, it's different because people are feeling bad, bad about the, the tragedy because life did it. Right. And they're almost maybe putting yes. themselves mm-hmm. in the position of, well, this going to happen to us all. We're, sure. we're all, we're all, our entire life is a tragedy. It's going to end very badly for all of us. Yeah. yeah <laughs> we're yeah, all going to yeah. die. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And yet, if you do it right, it's the most cathartic communal yeah. thing. Yeah. To go, to, to go from here is the tragedy of living to laughing into the void. Sure. It stops <laughs> being a fear and starts being an embrace, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. You know? 
Because then you're just like, oh, we do all die. As opposed to, I can't believe we all die. Yeah. It's like, yeah. we all die. <laughs> Everyone's dead. Yeah. We're all in this together. That's kind of nice. <laughs> you get to do it together. Yeah. And, that's and, great. And it's interesting too. Like, like sometimes you need that, you need that time. Like you needed yeah. time for that moment to be remotely funny to you. Oh yeah. Right? Oh, I was a shell for a solid week after that being like, uh, am I okay? Am I okay? I think I'm okay. Like it took me a while. To, it was, it was such a fucking uh, emotional ride that it like, I felt like, like it took years off my life almost, you know? It's really funny that you were so, like you second guess yourself to that crazy extent. I know that sounds extremely melodramatic and that's also what I don't, I don't want to oh, do, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to sound melodramatic, but like it was, it like, uh, as far as like bad drug trips, having it on the heels of something that was that Career weighty career-wise. Yeah. I can have a show. I just produced a show last Friday that was a lot of work. It was a big pet project. It went wonderfully well. And I didn't have anything bad happen. But just the letdown from that level of adrenaline and yeah. And, yeah. And, 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 and the payoff for all that work, that, that sent me into depression before. Yeah, uh, I'm just like let alone. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it right away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. help it. Yeah, god damn. I'd heard someone say this to John Mulaney on a podcast, and he they were like, "You, when you perform stand up, you it feels like a tailored suit for you." Mm-hmm. And I feel that you like are stand up. So watching you on Conan, and you have this nice polish, but also this like casualness, and like you seem in the moment. So. For you to feel that like insecure about it to that extent is really funny to me <laughs> that it's not, you know what I mean? Does yeah. that make sense? I also felt like I owed it to other comics to convey that story to them too, to just to let people know it's not all what it seems, yes. you know, like even, even doing something like that, that is, that's a milestone in a stand up career. Yeah. It can be fraught with internal crisis and self-doubt yeah. and self-hatred and like that's always going to be there yeah. and even sometimes more so in those moments yeah you know yeah because the bigger you you f- like are getting in terms of how good you are yeah the bigger um or the bigger the insecurity about being a fraud can be oh yeah it's like absolutely not, yeah yeah, like yeah. Mulaney is like i did uh, uh what's it called radio city like 15 shows or whatever it's like oh i'm 15 shows at radio city a fraud if yes. he's having that insecure yes. moment. Yes. That's crazy. Right. The like, how did I take it of this being a far? fraud or yeah. like, a, yeah, like I've tricked everyone. I'm not. Yeah. Right. It's right. a con, a con game, but yeah, that's insane. That's inspiring <laughs> in a way. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Let's talk about sex. This is by Doug Smith and it's called Stab in the Face. It was just in March, right? On This yes. Is Not Happening. It is fantastic. I'm going to tell you a story about the only fight that I've ever been in in my entire life. And it's important to keep in mind that prior to this, the closest I had ever come was a pillow fight when I was eight years old against my best friend. And you'd think I would have won that because he was the nosebleed kid. I was the nosebleed kid. Really? You guys Every know day. these kids, right? They just have blood gushing out of their head with no warning whatsoever. Like, we'd be standing there waiting for the school bus. He'd bend down and tie his shoe. Just stand up looking like he just went on a coke bender. 
It was so bad, my mom wouldn't even let him in the house, which was weird growing up with an indoor cat and an outdoor friend, but that's... How long did it take you to get that wording? That's so great. Uh, <laughs> indoor cat, cat and outdoor outside. friend? Yeah. <laughs> it was the root that, of that. That kind of phrase. That that actually was the only part of the story was edited. I had a a bit in there about um like people's grandma grandmothers having plastic on the furniture uh-huh. and 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 the joke was like his his own mother had plastic on the furniture, but it was like a newer joke that I was trying to incorporate into the story that did, just didn't come across. It didn't uh-huh. convey that right. whole cliche of grandmothers having plastic on the furniture. Yeah. So that's why it sounds kind of weird. Of like, I'm almost like making a comparison. Like my mom wouldn't even let him in the house. You know what I mean? That's yeah. cuts to that. Um, but it was kind of that's kind of a very truthful thing of like my mom, even though this kid was like a lovely kid. She uh, every time he came over, it'd be like, "All right, Mark, if you if you have a nosebleed, just fucking contain it." You know what I mean? Like it, it was inevitably just wound up everywhere. <laughs> when I did grow up with with like with come over anytime or cats, the- <laughs> you, know? uh, like, you go out in the garage. He's your garage friend. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> the way it had to be. So we're eight years old. We're jumping on his bed, pillows in hand. We whack each other at the exact same moment. His nose just erupts. (laughs) But I find out that I am deathly allergic to goose down. (laughs) So he's got blood all over the comforter. I'm laid out on the bed with my eyes swollen shut, gasping for air. We're both screaming for help. My throat closes up. My dad has to rush me to the emergency room. I've never seen him more embarrassed in his life, by the way. (laughs) Doctor comes in. He was like, what happened to him? He was in a fight. What kind of fight? I don't see why that's important. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not a big confidence booster when you find out that your kryptonite is feathers. You know? So cut to 20 years later, I still have a shameful 0-1 record. Just preamble here. Was that something you knew you were going to incorporate? No. Okay. So the most frustrating part of working on this story was jumping right into it, because as you'll see as we play it, the first minute or two is setting up this, this whole environment that I'm walking into, this kind of hostile environment, and, and the gravity of that, uh, would always make people really tense. So to start out with that, I felt like I kind of had to have a, a little bit of a buffer. Ari Shafir was, I can't thank the guy enough because he was really kind of instrumental in helping me shape this thing oh, cool. was uh, him telling me like, you're kind of painting yourself, even though you kind of come across as a hero, you're kind of painting yourself as like a, a, a bit of a, a pussy at the same time yeah. because like, you want to get involved, but you don't want to get involved. And it's like, what's going to happen if I do? And, and yeah. he's like, it really you're conveying that, that. that you, you've never been in a fight before. And, he's, and he asked me, like, have you ever been in a fight before? No. Well, what was the closest you ever came to being in a fight? You know? Yeah. And that's what made me think of the whole pillow fight thing with, right. with the friend. Oh, cool. And I thought that would be a cool juxtaposition because that's such a, a, such a loss. 
right, you know, yeah. a pillow fight that turns out with a hospital visit. Light, I mean, yeah. that's really yeah. paints a picture even more of I am not it's equipped like for this sort of situation thing. Like Sandlot yeah. type of like goofy story. And then it's like, well, right, here's right. a stopping rape. And then, really? yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And, it, and like it establishes trust from the audience too. Uh-huh. Of like, all right, this guy knows how to make, he's going to make his last something a little dark, funny. Mm-hmm. He knows how to be funny. So even though it's going to get a little heavy, hopefully he'll bring it back to what we just had with him. It's kind of in tune with what you talked about with bits that have big meanings or about politics. It's like giving a dog medicine, like putting the peanut butter over the pill. It's like you're yeah, giving yeah, them yeah, the yeah, peanut yeah. butter up top. Yes. So I think that's kind of in the same vein. Uh, like you know that, what I mean? Yeah. I'm in the East Village of Manhattan. It's about 10 o'clock on a Thursday night. I just bought some weed, and I'm headed home to Brooklyn. So I go down the stairs of the 2nd Avenue F train station, and as I swipe my card, I hear a woman screaming. Now, if you live in a small town, that might be a cause for concern, but in a city of 8 million people, some of them are going to be screaming. It's pretty much par for the course. So I casually look over, and I see a petite, young, blonde girl, early 20s, and uh, holding her from behind is a guy about my build, maybe mid-30s. It's getting a little rough, but I'm like, eh, maybe, is, is he doing the Heimlich maneuver? <laughs> but you can't scream while you're choking. And also, he has one hand on her breast, the other hand is moving between her legs. His form is terrible. <laughs> to point out... There's a girl in the audience in that video, right, right next to the left of you, who goes from horrified to laughing right oh, there. Yeah? It's great. It's great. <laughs> you go back and watch it. Watch her. She's just ah. <gasps> <gasps> <laughs> that yeah. moment with that line. Her, yes. His form is terrible. Yes. Really? Yes. Oh, that's funny. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's like a that's like a groaner line, yeah, you know what I mean? Like like, <laughs> all right, he's talking about somebody assault is a guy assaulting, sexually assaulting a woman, you know. But you're trying to make a joke out of even his approach to that. Like, yeah. come on, yeah. that's um, it, it's it is a groaner, and yet even if it's a groaner, I felt like there had to be some sort of a laugh line yeah. there, right. you know, because like right. you can't just keep painting this picture that keeps getting darker and darker and darker, yeah. you know. It's, it's almost like it's it's like. It's like the audience is underwater, and you're like, ah, they need to, I need to bring them up for, yeah, yeah, for a yeah, second. Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. back down we go into the depth, mark, murky depths. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's just such a... All right. I, I'm, all right. <laughs> I think maybe, maybe this is a couple into some aggressive foreplay. Anything I can do to justify not getting involved, right? <laughs> but then he grabs her by the blouse, whips her against a wall, hauls off, punches her in the face, clobbers her. She is now sobbing. He's trying to rip her pants off. And I'm like, you know what? I don't think they're together. <laughs> I think this guy is a rapist. Someone's got to stop this guy. Not going to be me, of course, but somebody. And now he grabs her by the throat, slams her head against the wall, and no one is doing anything. He hits her again. I'm like, shit, i got to be that guy. So I yell out the most threatening thing I can think of, which unfortunately is, Hey, buddy, that's a lady. (laughs) Imagine if that's all it took. If he was like, oh, my God, it is a lady. That's the last time I leave the house without my glasses. Okay. Boy, you're in the roughest part of that story. 
That is tough. <laughs> yeah. It's tough. And then you get not one, not two, but three laughs in a row in it. Mm-hmm. What was the process like to get to that? That bit right there was the toughest part of the whole thing because everything else after that is is me being affected by it. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And so it's one thing with a man doing battle with another man, but when you're trying to get laughs out of a man punching and and in the process of getting ready to sexually assault a woman, I mean, the audience is just the aghast. Yeah. 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 The delivery of, of me saying, hey, buddy, that's a lady, was key. Oh yeah. Because yeah. because when I first started doing that cuz that is actually what I said, but I felt like when I first started doing the story, I almost would ham up that line a little bit too much like, "Hey buddy, that's a like make myself sound like a real yeah. dork." And it, I think it made the audience uh take it take him out of it a little bit cuz yeah. it's like, "No way he said that." You yeah. know what I mean? So I kind of had to uh, realize I had to deliver it more like I actually did and just trust that there was something funny in the truth yeah. of the way I actually delivered it. You know what yeah. I mean? Whereas I felt leading up to it, I have to, like, that's such a stupid thing to say. I almost yeah. felt like I had to dork it up even more. Yeah, yeah. And then realizing, like, no, actually the, the humor in that is is saying it exactly like I did. Like, I'm almost challenging him. Like, that actually is going to have an effect on him. Yeah. I'm being like, hey, buddy, that's a lady. Like, that's going to threaten him. Yeah. I've heard, uh, I think Vince Vaughn said this. He said that, Del Close said this to him when he was, like, studying improv. And he uh-huh. said he said that they, they would always say, there's absolutely nothing funny about comedy. Mm. There's, that yeah. comedy is the overcommitment to the absurd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that line is, in that, in that, in that mode, is absurd right you don't have to and you didn't have to i think what you discovered is you don't have to convey absurdity yes through an absurd voice when the thing you're doing itself is absurd exactly yeah right and so, sure yeah so that it probably totally took them out of it yeah 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 and yet and yet i watching your face on this there's another thing you're doing here um that i think there's a tightrope act here your face is also smiling a little you're you're conveying it's all going to be okay yeah. with your facial expression. At the same time, you're talking about something that's very not okay. Right. And I think there's a confidence that this is going to be all right. The audience says, okay, I'm with you. I'll stay with you. This thing evolved so much. And also keep in mind, this did happen seven years ago, and I did start talking about it immediately. Mm-hmm. So the story that made it to the show is even though factually nothing changed factually the way that i told it is a completely completely different animal than it was when i first started and when i first started to tell it i would set it up being like uh i would say like you see this scar here i got slashed in the subway and i would say don't worry everything wind up panning out okay i'm fine but the problem with doing that is you're the, you're then not taking people along for that ride. Yep. You know what I mean? You're, yep. you're giving away the ending. There's no stakes. Right. So I then knew that I had to not give anything away, but still kind of almost like almost coddle them in a way yeah. and, and, and doing that through smiling through and it. conveying like, I'm the one that experienced this again. Like, it's okay. Like, I got you here. Like, I'm going to carry you through this journey. I'm standing in front of you. Everything's cool. And having to convey that with with a, a smile here and there, or or like a little bit of a wink, wink sort of thing. If you tell them it's okay, you ruin the story. Yes. If you show them that it's okay yeah. through your uh, your manner, 
Yeah, your, your body presence. language, yeah. the way yeah. you start, you're just like, oh, yeah, yeah. If, I'm, if I'm like looking shell shocked, you know, they're going to be like, oh man, this is like paining him to retell this. Yeah. This pains him to retell this story. Whereas yeah. if like I'm 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 re- delivering like, hey, everything's cool. I'll, almost like my tone has to be like it could I could be talking about anything, you know. Although although I would say on the flip side, one of the beautiful things about watching Patton do what he did is. He's not, it's not okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and yet he's making it okay a little. Right. And you see him, you see him experience that pain and then and then choose to make it funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On the fly. Right, right. So like, I don't know, when we've been doing it 30 years, we'll do yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure, sure. But that's different ways of doing it. His special came out so soon after that tragedy yeah. that it was still fresh for me this was seven years ago i'm so past it uh-huh. yeah. i'm really pretty totally unaffected by it now so i can't even manufacture like just i just cool, made it through scar. this thing you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're, so you're, you're, you have so much time that it's like that equation works out so well yeah <laughs> you've got you got plenty of tragedy here lots of time comedy yeah, <laughs> comedy. yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So as you can imagine, it has no effect, and he hauls off to hit her again, and I just fucking hulk out. I go, come on, let's go, which is a pretty big jump from, hey, buddy, that's a lady, right? <laughs> Could have gone with pick on someone your own size, or I'm telling. <laughs> but it gets his attention, and as he turns to look at me, she pries his hand off her throat. Bolts through the turnstile, flies up the stairs, runs out of the station. She's going to be okay. But then I turn back to him, and he is pissed. (laughs) I don't know if you guys have ever cock-blocked a rapist before. (laughs) But they do not take too kindly to it. That line was there from day one. Yeah. That's almost that's almost like yeah. one of the first lines that I thought Born of even that stone. night before. Like this is what happens when you cock block a rapist. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Did you feel so it I, in the moment or like when you were up getting stitched up or in the, in the like in the it? moment. Yeah. I really did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was God, like, God, oh, hey, I brought this upon myself. How many people are around watching with you? Like how many regular civilians are around? Are you when talking it, about in the moment, are you talking about this? this, this oh, in the moment while you're stopping. So in the about moment, so you, you, the Second Avenue subway station, there's like a bit of a I don't know, you call it a mezzanine or what, but there's yeah. that weird area before you go down the stairs. Yeah, totally. That's where it happens. So that's a busy station. Yeah. So Thursday night's busy station. People are getting off the train. Yeah. People piled through the turnstiles, running out of there. He, they were like some of the last ones up the stairs. So that whole train emptied out and he had her against the wall punching her and a couple of people saw that and it was just kind of like i see nothing you know that very like turn a blind eye sort of mentality when she got away and he came at me it was a very it was very brief you know he came at me one swing he got me ran out at that moment i didn't see anybody yeah i didn't see anybody coming through the turnstile i didn't see anybody coming up so and then the second he fled then another woman came up from the from the uptown track, Got it. and okay. that's when she gotcha. saw me. Gotcha. So it was this weird period of time where there may have been, and maybe maybe someone was lurking in the shadows, like "Holy fuck, what am I seeing here?" Yeah. But I didn't. I was you just. Were, you were I just kind saw of focused. Him. I was. I was, focused. <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs> I was checking my text. Hold on, buddy. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, oh boy. All right. <laughs> 
So he's just staring me down with these steely blue eyes, and I gotta tell you, under normal circumstances, beautiful eyes, but (laughs) right now they're just cold and terrifying. And I'm taking full inventory of his physical appearance. I'm like, all right, 5'10", 160. I want to be able to give a detailed description of the police when I wake from my medically induced coma. (laughs) So he takes his first step toward me and very calmly goes, what you going to do, motherfucker? And part of me is tempted to try to talk my way out of this. You know, I'd be like, hey, man, I didn't mean to interfere. If you hurry, I'm sure you can catch up with it. (laughs) Okay. I love how you continually make yourself the moron in this story. (laughs) (laughs) To be able to tell this underdog hero story in this way, in the midst of what is horrifying for anybody to be part of, um, and you find these little turns and twists. I mean, was that like, I'm going to try it again, I'm going to try it again, work it out, or did you like sit down and write it out? Or like, It's interesting you bring that up. I think that goes back to that whole post Conan story because that could that whole story which I still feel like I am in that place where it's like that could be conveyed as like a humble brag you know what I mean of like I I did a late night set I thought I fucking bombed but it would turn out okay this could also go that way of like I'm a hero I'm gonna tell you about how I saved this woman you can't do that nobody wants to hear about that you know what I mean you have to it's that is an essential element of comedy is taking yourself down a peg you know Right. So even though it may have, and I never even saw it as a heroic thing to tell you the truth, because if I pounced on the guy and kicked the shit out of him, nothing would have happened to me. Nobody would have found out about it. I would have been a hero then as well, but it's just because I got my fucking ass kicked and people found out about it, uh-huh. that, 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 that's the label that's stuck on me. You know what I mean? I almost become a hero by only, only because of my suffering. Does that make sense? Whereas if I, if I was to grab his arm and snap his elbow and kick the shit out of him and flee the scene, nobody would even know about it, right? right? So, yeah. So I <laughs> felt like I can't, there's nothing funny about me just being like, I'm a hero, I saved this lady. So I felt like it was a, a continually important for me to tell, take myself down a peg and express the self-doubt and the fear and the ineptitude that I was feeling in that situation. Right. One of the things that is so communal about that for people is that it's actually kind of hard to relate to being a hero. (laughs) So few of us are, have heroic moments, have those moments. Could you say what you said to me before with the show started about courage? Because I think that was what you exercise in this. So like courage doesn't exist without fear. Courage Mm -hmm. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is what you do in the face of fear. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have sure. to, if you're not, what, like when you learn to drive a car, it's a, it's kind of courageous because you have no idea what you're doing and you could kill people and kill yourself. Right. So it's courageous to try. But yeah. when you know how to drive a car, it's not courageous to go get groceries. Right, yeah. right, right, right. right? Yeah. Same activity. Right. Yeah. It's the presence of fear that causes it. And so people can relate to that fear right here and they can relate to being inept and not knowing how to fight and all those things they are with you in that moment yeah and a lot of people in new york or big cities can relate to that moment of seeing something awful and not knowing how to respond to it sure either because they're not close enough to it or they don't they it's just like they get that uh i forget what it's called when it's like a group think we all aren't gonna do something mentality yes that's cool that you snapped out of it but you also like showcase like oh i was feeling exactly how you guys feel right right when you're pondering how what to do yeah so it's you're not it's yeah you did the fear was still there that's why it's so like 
and that's also, I think, why I, I'm not saying most guys would feel this way. I bet there's like a guy in the crowd who'd be like, this guy's acting like, like talking about being a hero. Like, and then I'm with my chick. And then, uh, but you're just like, oh no, I'm a hero, but I'm also a huge pussy at the right. same time, <laughs> like simultaneously. So you and your woman will fuck, it'll be fine. I'm tempted, but I don't do that. I'm like, come on, all right, come fucking, this is your chance to take this guy out. So I clench my fists. And I start yelling, back the fuck up, man, back the fuck up. And I can tell you, that does not have much impact when you yourself are fearfully backing up. <laughs> so I hit the opposing wall. He's got me backed into a corner. I got nowhere to go. So I have no choice but to try to take this guy out. So I take a deep breath. And I ready myself. And I step in with a demolishing blow. I'm just going to lay this guy out. And I may have if I wasn't still eight feet away from him. <laughs> so there's this horrible moment where I just watch my fist whiz past his face. I'm like, no! He steps in, clobbers me. My knees buckle, but I don't go down. I'm like, all right. Fist of cuffs is not my strong suit. I'm going to come back, kick this guy in the balls. Like I just completed a woman's self-defense class. <laughs> So I step in, I swing, he scoots back at the last second. I miss his balls, but I get him in the stomach. And here's what I know about my fighting style so far. Way too polite, can't land a punch. And when I kick someone, I make this sound. I go, hey. <laughs> Not my proudest moment, but I make contact. And he stumbles back. And he turns and he runs out of the station. So now I'm feeling like hot shit. I'm like, I got a powerhouse Bruce Lee kick. I didn't back down. I took a punch. He ran off. I think I'd finally won a fight, right? And more importantly, I saved that woman. I think I'm the first guy with a mustache to save a woman from train tracks. Rather than tie her to them. So now I'm feeling invincible. I'm about to get on the train and go home. And this older woman stops me. She goes oh my God, you have a massive laceration on your face. And I look down and there's just blood just cascading down my face, onto my jacket, trickling onto my shoe. And I go, is it bad? She goes, it appears to be quite severe. (laughs) (laughs) And my adrenaline's pumping, so I don't feel any pain. I just feel warmth. And I kind of like replay everything in my head. And I think, well, that guy was kind of holding his hand in a funny way. He didn't really punch me so much as, like, swing at me. There's blood everywhere. I did not get punched. I did not win a fight. I just got stabbed in the face. <laughs> they laugh there. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And to tell you the truth, leading up to the taping, that line typically did not get a laugh. Right. Yeah. That's just like, it's like a reveal line. It's just conveying factual information. Right, you know, yeah. like it's, it's okay. I, I can't make a I can't make you laugh at this. I'm yeah. just conveying what actually happened, what I what I realized. So that was that was a wonderful feeling at that moment to right. deliver. I just got stabbed in the face. People laugh. That's like, holy shit, you're sicker than I am. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's like the opposite yeah. of what we were talking about. People like, I can't find this funny. It's like, this is great, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's a testament to how well you did your job up to that point that they felt okay to laugh at that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good job. Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> All right, let's keep going. 
Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I get stabbed by a stranger <laughs> with a foreign object, first thing that comes to mind, oh my God, now I have AIDS. <laughs> I know that's not how it works. You gotta share a glass of water, but right now, <laughs> paranoia was taking hold of me. So I'm like, oh my God, some spiteful psycho running around the city with an infected box cutter just filleted my face and I would just have AIDS coursing through my veins. I think, you know what? Maybe it won't take hold if I'm bleeding it all out. So I actually lean over. Go, rid yourself. <laughs> Get out of me. And the same woman, she goes, what are you doing? She reaches into her purse, grabs a wad of napkins, slaps them on my face, because, you know, every woman over 30 is a surplus of purse napkins. <laughs> and she leads me up to the street, calls 911, dozen cops on the scene within minutes. They all want to see the cut. So one after another, I remove the napkins. Each time, another pint of blood spurts out. And they all have the same reaction. They just go, put it back, put it back. <laughs> so... Another cop rolls up, and he goes, hey, do you mind if I see it? His partner goes, you see his mouth? Just picture another one right next to it. So all these cops are swarming around, and I remember, I got that quarter ounce of weed in my backpack. Now, this is New York. This is not the weed-topia you burnouts are used to. I felt like like doing, doing that story in New York... Everybody understood at that moment, like, oh, shit, he has weed in his backpack. But in L.A., it's like, oh, he has weed in his backpack. No big deal. So I, that was the first time I, I felt like I had to address that, you know? So there was actually a couple lines in the story that I had never even done before the taping. Because I just felt, I almost felt like... You had to do it. Yeah, that and also the, uh, I know that's not how you get AIDS. You got to share a glass of yeah, water. Yeah, that yeah. I just kind of threw in there at the last minute, too. It was kind of that's fun to just throw a, a couple of last-minute tags in there. I know that stakes are already high enough, but there's yeah. something fun about being like, well, I can try this. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's weird. It's weird how you almost just have that confidence knowing that you've made it this far. of oh. like, what the fuck? Let me spice this up a little bit for myself. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. That's funny. That's one of my favorite lines. It's not like I didn't show the guy my medical card. He's like, oh, cool. I have one, too. All right. <laughs> so justifiably, I'm freaking out. And I feel this big mitt on my shoulder. And I'm like, oh, my God. He can smell it. I'm fucked. I'm going to jail. He spins me around. And this detective goes, hey, how's it feel to be a goddamn hero? <laughs> he reaches into his back pocket, hands me his business card. He goes, you ever need anything? You ever in a jam? You call me. I got your back. I was like, I may take you up on that a little sooner than you think, sir. (laughs) So ambulance finally shows up. I'm in the hospital. I'm getting stitched up. And I listen to a lot of rap music. I hear a lot of references to a buck 50. And a buck 50 is a facial laceration that requires 150 stitches. And I don't know if you can see the scar right here. Right there, you see it? You see it? A mere 23 stitches, which has to make you wonder, what kind of fucking facial laceration requires 150 I think that's decapitation. No need to be alarmed, sir. We'll simply sew your head back on. You'll be good to go. So 10 days later, I get my stitches out. I seem to be healing up nicely. And that night, I'm brushing my teeth, and I notice this clear liquid dripping out of my scar. 
And I'm like, ah, oh, it's just residual wound goop, no big deal. And it keeps up for a few days. I go back to the doctor, and it turns out when this guy cut me, he hit my salivary gland. So I'm now drooling out of the side of my face. Not a little dribble, buckets of drool. Every time I see food, like you put a plate of wings in front of me, I'm just a slobbering St. Bernard. Which is ironic, because I'm a dog walker at the time, so I'm just roaming the streets of New York with a pack of dogs in tow. They're looking at me like, oh, he's one of us now. It was so bad, I could push on the gland and shoot it across the room. Too bad I didn't have that at the time of the attack, right? I'd be like, back the fuck up, man! When did you put that together? Yeah. That, I mean, that, that, that moment, that, that the salivary gland, I could have used this. Oh, 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 oh. Because I remember standing in the bathroom, pushing on it, mm. and seeing that stream, and just like thinking that would be such a funny, that would be so terrifying to see somebody do that, you know? <laughs> alien or something. Yeah. <laughs> and people are so paranoid about blood and AIDS and yeah. whatever else, just bodily fluids, that to like shoot liquid out of your face, yeah. like... That he could have had a fucking gun. He would have been like, "Oh my god, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I surrender." You know? That's really funny. I love that. So now I'm just feeling terrible. This is this is I'm, this is just a misery. I'm like I just just run off and join the Coney Island freak show. I'll be the boy with the super soaker face. So two weeks goes by and it finally stops. Drooling stops. I go back to the doctor. He's like, "All right, I think you're finally out of the woods. All you got is that nifty looking scar." Halloween's around the corner. Let me guess, you're going to go as the Joker. And I was like, well, the Joker has a scar on both sides of his face, so unless I go out and stop a left-handed rapist... <laughs> I don't know, man. But it all has a happy ending. I am fine, obviously. Turns out he did not give me AIDS. Had it all along. <laughs> They actually caught the guy. They caught the guy. Three days after the whole thing happened, they found him right outside the same station. Remember, I thought he was my age? 54-year-old drunk homeless man. So, 20 years older than he looks. Beautiful baby blues. I got my ass kicked by the world's sexiest wino. So he's currently in prison. He got sentenced to 15 years of having a home. <laughs> and people ask me if I'm worried about him coming after me when he gets out. And it's like, well, he's going to be 70 years old. So unless he watches this in prison and comes after me with a pillow. <laughs> pretty sure that's a fight I can win. So wish me luck. All right. Great callback at the end of there. So good. <laughs> I, I feel like I also got to say that that was another line I threw in at the last minute was he got sentenced to 15 years of having a home. Mm -hmm. It's one of these things I'd been working on for so long that was so easy for to get stale that I kept having to re incorporate new jokes just right. to make myself want to keep telling it. Right. Oh, you know? Right. You, you have to have some sort of challenge. Right. It, it has to be challenging. There has to be some little thing out there like, I wonder if this is going to work. Yeah. 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 Why, why we need that? I mean, it's the same as a video game. If a video, right, you can right. ace a video game every single time, yeah, you don't want to exactly. play it, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. if you're not sure you can do this level... Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a brilliant sense. way to keep it fresh. Uh, yeah. I think my biggest accomplishment, though, is just be able to, being able to get uh, 
laughs off of a few AIDS jokes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great. I love the had it the whole time. The little jokes that could apply to other just regular, you know, regular right. sets, totally. like scattered throughout the whole thing. It's, it's great. Yeah. Laugh line after laugh line, laugh line after laugh line. It's yeah. um, when, when I first saw this thing, I was just like, that's how you fucking tell a story. Yeah, it's uh, it, so good. It's, it's been hammered and hammered. Right. But like you wait, there's a moment where they need it and it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. that's so hard to do. Comedic storytelling is tough, right? right. Let, al- let alone when the thing you're talking about is so serious. Yeah. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that too, because like Mark Norman was was one guy who texted me just a very congratulatory text, like, "Hey, man, watch your set. I thought it was great. So many laugh lines." He's like, "I think you might be a story guy," and part of me, like, that was sweet to hear, but at the same time, I was like, "Oh my god, it's so much more work. It's so much more work." Um. To take one long story and pu- and plug jokes into that, uh-huh. you know, it's hard. and there's part of me that's like, there's no story that I have that has higher stakes than this, yeah. you know what I mean? So there was definitely a a, a little bit of time after this yeah. came out where I was like, I'll never top this. This will be this will be the thing that gets the most views that people will mm-hmm. hold me to. Everything else will pale in comparison. Yeah. And I went through like a bit of a little bit of a existential crisis, just yeah. thinking like, all right, I, I've peaked. This is, this is, I can't outdo this. And you know what? Maybe that's what you'll do for the rest of your career is every time you do something great, you'll have an existential crisis. Yeah. <laughs> seems to be a, yeah, it keeps that's following you around. Thing, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Two's yeah. a pattern. <laughs> that's great, man. I mean, you know, uh, I would be surprised if you didn't do something great, but if you don't, uh, that the, the can top it, but if you don't, <laughs> hey, you'll have the consolation of being right. So, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. there we go. That counts. <laughs> as you were working this out, as you were trying in all these different places and begging for that extra time and you're working it out, um, were there times where you just lost people on it? Or was this? Oh, yeah. Yeah? There was a time where uh, Ari was, even after he was let go of the show, he's the one who made the push for me to get on the show. Wow. So all my back and forth with the producers happened while he was still on the show but he was in southeast asia traveling and he was completely off the grid he was without a cell phone without email so even though he's the one that was was the one advocating for me my correspondence with the producers didn't involve him so i was getting all these notes and it was so frustrating because it's like well ari's not having any say in this you know so it actually looked like i was going to get a no and he's the one that made a final push for me to get on so i really credit him for getting me on and he continued to support me even after he was no longer a part of the show. He's like, hey, man, look, I'm the one that, that helped you along. I'm, I'm not just going to drop you now. So he would come with me every now and then and watch me do the set. And there was one night I was at Eastville Comedy Club, and I ran the set there. I had two shows that night, so I ran the set. He came to that early show. It went great. Me and him went out to get a drink. I came back later for the second show. Same story. Bombed. Oh. Just fucking ate shit. Really? And of course, you know, again, like it's a 15 minute chunk that oh, there's so no backing out of, there. you know? So of course there was many times where I just felt like the crowd is like, why is this guy talking about such horrible shit on stage? Uh, you know, you like think that we would think this is funny. Yeah. This yeah. is supposed to be, you know, I'm out yeah, with my great, girlfriend. I'm supposed to be getting some laughs. <laughs> this is what, what are you, they're talking about such horrible shit. I for. haven't heard you mention your dick once. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what notes did you get? Well, that's what was most frustrating. One of the one of the most frustrating notes was they didn't want. They thought 
all the weight of the story was in the was in the altercation and that the whole aftermath of the salivary gland thing was like it was like an epilogue that they didn't need to hear about and to me that that was the worst part of the whole thing the face slashing like i felt no pain because my adrenaline was rushing through me i was on pain meds the worst part was the salivary gland thing because i felt like a fucking freak and i was just drooling over myself and i just was like quality of life went down the shitter Uh i was on the phone with my insurance company it looked like i was gonna have to have surgery to repair it i was with my my fiance at the time wow We we were engaged at the time i think oh man um, she must have been so that <laughs> for me was the worst part of the whole thing was the salivary gland right, part of it because yeah. it looked like i was gonna have to have surgery they were gonna have to cut me all over Shit. open all over again repair right. it mm-hmm. yeah. so when i was getting these notes like eh, nobody needs to hear about that i was like no me is the one who experienced it that's the worst part of the whole thing yeah. like that's almost the most important part of yeah, it the most because you know you think you're out of the woods you know you get your face slashed you get stitched up People are calling you a hero, but again, there's like, well, I don't feel, I don't fucking look like a hero. I don't feel like a hero. I'm drooling under the side of my fucking face. That yeah. is almost like what happens with any hero story who goes through some sort of harrowing physical ordeal, yeah. and then they're just beaten and bruised and cut, and then that the end of the movie. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Yeah. That's yes. it. They get the fucking golden chalice and the girl, and they're done. And then there's no the there's no year of convalescing. Right. 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 <laughs> right. Yeah. And so they're trying to do that to you in your yes. story. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Of yeah. course. So I felt like I really fought on that. I was like, no, this is an instrumental part of it. The comedic element there is even more so because, again, I'm taking myself down yes. a rung even more. Yes. Like This isn't all like accolades and praise. Like There's, yeah. a, there's a downside to right. what happened from this. Right. And you wrap it up nicely, too. Like it, it, it ends up being this the bow on it. When you talk about the guy... And that he is in prison, and then you bring back a, a few callbacks all at once. I mean, that's craft right there. Yeah. And then, the, and they're just like, no. That's so ridiculous. Oh, that had to be really frustrating. Did you get like messages? You're just like mad. You're like, oh, fuck. Oh, dude, there was multiple moments where I thought, fuck this. I don't even want to do this show anymore. Uh, fuck these guys. Uh-huh. I'm not doing it. Yeah, of course I want to do it, but it's not worth it. Yeah, it's it's not life. worth it. Yeah. Like, I, there was, there was like. A solid two months where I wasn't doing any regular stand-up sets. I was wow. only doing this set, yeah. and then just continually getting like, a, I don't know, I don't know. Oh, it's just fuck. like they're really trying to back out. I was oh like, what God. the fuck am I? What's the point? You know? Hard. And my my wife is the one who's like, you're even though you got to swallow your pride a little bit. As much as it hurts to get these notes on something so personal to you, you're never gonna be satisfied unless you know that you left every stone unturned. So just fucking swallow your pride. Give them what they want. <laughs> And you'll get the last laugh. And I'm so glad I yeah. I did, yeah. you know, because I was, I really was. I was ready to completely throw in the towel. Not to, you know, shove my tongue up your ass too far, but it's one of the, it's one of the best. Let me grab my ankles. <laughs> get ready. <laughs> hey, he's a no, lady. But, <laughs> but it is, it is one of the better. This is not happening since I've seen. It's Thanks, so man. good. I, yeah. It's, I, I can't. We, we, when we watch it together, we just went, oh, yeah, that's how it's done. <laughs> I like freak out on comics when I've like, you saw Doug Smith's This Is Not Happening, and they're like, no, I haven't seen it. I'm like, are you fucking joking? <laughs> What's wrong with what? you? And then I just like send them a link, like, watch it tonight <laughs> or in front of me. I'd watch it again. It's so good. Come on. Let's talk about sex. Everybody, a huge thanks to our guest, Doug Smith. He has a few things that we want to plug. First of all is Secret Weapon, 
The link to that will be in the show notes. It's roughly related to uh, this experience, to YouTube web series. I highly recommend that you check it out. Also, we referenced it a couple times. See You in Hell is his it's monthly. Is it a monthly, monthly show? Monthly, yep. Monthly show. It's on Sunday at 8 p.m. at Union Hall on May 27th in Brooklyn. Putting comedians through hell, they have to incorporate these horrible challenges into their set while they're telling their jokes. Yep. Freestyle rapping, dr- drinking whiskey shots, doing yoga arm wrestling, you know, we put them through their paces. It's fun. Gotcha. The link for that is also in the show notes. And then, uh, of course, please follow our guests. That's Twitter. Uh, Is that probably the best way to do that, right? And it's who Doug Smith. Just just who, then Doug, then Smith. (laughs) All one word. And um, we have our own plugs. Go to special-tonight.com for my monthly show that Mm. I co-produce with Sadiq Samani. And uh, Harrison helps out with that sometimes. Also, we have Late Night Romp, which is my weekly show that I co-produce with Teresa Sheffield. And Harrison is heavily involved with that as well. That's very fun. Come by anytime. That's at the V-Spot in Manhattan. And then lastly, I'm getting something on off the ground it's called brick spot comedy and it is a an alternative performance space yes. in, in manhattan and there'll be more information on that in the future if you want to find out more about our guest head over to let's talk about sets.com check out the show notes we have all our episodes there organized by themes and the comedians we discussed and you can get our episodes automatically every other week by subscribing to the podcast yeah do it now do it. Uh, <laughs> do special it now. thanks Special, special thanks to Patton Oswalt. And uh, I think that's the only other community we played. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. All right. And of, as always, as always, always. Salt and, oh, salt salt and pepper. pepper. Yeah. We love you. You don't know how much we love you. Yeah. Thank you for letting us parodying. It's a parody. Parodying the song. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a fa- it's a fair use parody. Um, so fine. Yeah. Sets. Yeah. Sets. Let's talk about sets. Let's talk about sets.